It is such a pleasure to be with you this morning, um, especially as we hit Advent and prepare for Christmas together and, and celebrate Jesus and what, what a gift this is. If you're a guest with us today, I especially want to welcome you, say thank you so much for joining us. Whether it's here in person, if you're joining us online, thank you. Um, it's, it's great to have you. My hope and my prayer for you, whether it's present online, it's always the same. And that's simply no matter where you are in your faith today, I hope and I pray that you're able to take one step towards Jesus because that's what we're all about here at Crossbridge. And I love that. And you've come while well, we're in a series that we've been uh, calling Vices. And we've been looking at the seven capital uh, vices that are out there. You might know them as the seven deadly sins. And today we're going to be unpacking sloth, okay? We're going to be looking at sloth. And when I, when I planned out this series originally, let me just be really honest, I kind of put uh, greed and lust together because I thought those would be really hard to write and deliver. And I thought, I'm going to put the easier message after that. And I thought, oh, that's where sloth will fit. And let me tell you, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. As I have prepared and prayed and tried to work through this vice, uh, I, I, we're going to be looking at this, and I want you to keep in mind with the vice of sloth, the, um, the story that Jeff had just read for us, the story of Mary, um, and we're going to be looking to her as our example. N not, not our example of sloth. I'm not calling the mother of God. Uh, slothful, okay? That's not what I'm saying. Um, we will see her as an example of what it means to battle this vice in your life, to be uh, steady, to be grounded in the love of God, and not only the love of God, but what it means to be courageously enduring the yes to God all the time, even when it's not easy. And so we'll keep her story in mind. Uh, when I say the word sloth, help me out a little bit here. What kind of uh, words come to mind or images come to mind for you? Furry animals, Furry animals okay. Zootopia, lazy. Lazy, yeah, I hear that one. Zootopia, you know the guy at the DMV uh, or the sloth at the DMV? We all feel that, okay. Uh, what other words? Lazy, goonies. Oh, yeah, okay, sloth. I like that one. Tired, tired. Slow, I heard something in the back over there. I-95. Yes, okay. So, you know, it's funny. When we say the word sloth, it always means like low, sl slow or lazy, unproductive. Those are the things that we continue to go back to. Um, and I told you last week as we were talking about sexuality and, and our sexual wholeness that the church that I grew up in didn't always have the healthiest conversations around that. But when it came to the topic of work, let me tell you, my church talked about it all the time. And uh, many churches, I would say, really like to talk about work and how hard we should be working. I remember hearing phrases uh, like, if you won't work hard enough then you don't care enough, right? Work harder, it'll show how much you care. Um, sermons about our work ethic usually revolved around something uh, like Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, where it says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones, learn from their ways and become wise. And please, don't start nudging the people next to you, okay? Don't be like, yes, yeah, see, I told you, don't be lazy, don't be lazy, because you may not think what it means, what you think it means, but uh, we were told, at least where I went to church, that we should work so hard until we drop. Just keep going. And this shows our commitment to Jesus. It's funny because the messages that I heard in my church are very similar to, I know, the messages that many 
of us here when we're in the secular work world, regardless of what place it is, our ethic of work. I mean, we could pull from a church and say, I could give you a message on work, but it's going to sound exactly like something that Henry Ford would say. And, and Henry Ford, I mean, is it Proverbs? Is it Henry Ford? Henry Ford said this, work is our sanity, our self-respect, and our salvation. Through work and work alone may health, wealth, and happiness be secured. Right? We like to work. We work hard. And so preaching against laziness and idleness have been very popular messages in the church, especially over the last 150 years or so. But what's funny is we don't seem nearly as concerned about the dangers and the consequences of workaholism. In the modern industrial era that we have been in diligence, industriousness, these have become virtues for all of us to live up to because the truth is we care about profitability, professional success, and so we say this comes with harder work, and our society measures each other, our, our personal worth in terms of productivity, efficiency, maximization of your potential. We want people to, to give it all they've got and then push a little bit more. You better get busy or you'll be good for nothing. Some of our lives are so busy, I recognize that, that even the idea today of talking about sloth is comical to you. Like, oh man, I'm glad that's not my vice. Right? For any other workaholics out there, you can admit it, it's okay. Some of you, yes, Becky, I see that hand. We, we struggle together. Yes, some of you, Bill, I saw that hand. Right. If you're like, no, not me, you lie. You know how I know that? Because this is what our culture values, and this is what we focus on. This is what parents harp their kids on. This is what we push for. And what keeps us busy is very different, though. It's very busy because we are people who we have this habitual addiction to distraction. We are always doing something, aren't we? always doing something. Go to the bathroom without your phone, I dare you. Yeah, please do it, I'm telling you. Um, right? we, we'll do anything to keep ourselves occupied, to stay busy. We need to be productive. We can be busy playing video games, we could be busy doing homework all the time, getting ready in sports, taking care of our families, busy at work. The bottom line though is we're busy people so sloth can't be our issue, right? Well, as I've studied for this week, um, I came to a sobering discovery. Sloth really wasn't a word. That was developed by the Desert Fathers um, when they were starting to create all of these thoughts or ideas and structure the things that we struggle with. Um, and so this vice wasn't completely about how much someone did or didn't work, okay? The word that they used was acedia. Okay, say that with me, acedia. Now, this is a, a, a weird word. I know, how many of you have never heard this word before in your life? Okay, most of you. Great. Uh, me neither. And I was like, acedia, what in the world is this? And acedia simply is, it's, it's a Greek word that literally means lack of care. Okay, lack of care. And it's funny because it has more to do with being lazy about love than it does lazy about work. It has, it has a lot more to do there. Um, as we move through this message, I'm going to leave this up for you to see because I'm going to continue to use the word acedia through our time together this morning and not use the word sloth as much simply because I think sloth is one of those things we assume is lazy, 
and just doesn't want to, unproductive. And it's not the best way we can look at this. So I'm hoping as you leave today, you've got a new word in your vocabulary. And if someone's like, how is church? You could be like, acedia. And be really, really smart. And so acedia is just so much deeper than, than laying around doing nothing, right? And then what's wild is at the roots of acedia is this lack of love. And the lack of love can show up as both laziness and restless busyness. It, it can show up both ways in our life, and I'm going to do my best today to help you understand this vice, because I, I know that it's confusing when I'm like, laziness and restless busy. Like, wait, how does that work? I, I'm, I'm confessing to you today that I'm still figuring this one out, and after a couple weeks of really wrestling, I, I, don't, I don't understand it completely. And so if you leave going, I just wish I understood more, let's hang out. Let's, I've got some resources we could look at together because I'm still trying to learn this for real. It's, it's something that, what's wild to me as I looked back, the desert mothers and fathers that we originally talked about, they viewed this, acedia, as the most dangerous of all the vices outside of pride. Pride being the root of everything, this was their number two. And I know in the 21st century, in our portion of the world in America, we're probably thinking, oh, the last two weeks, greed and lust, that's what's got our hearts. And I used to think the same thing, but now, after learning, I kind of feel like I should have belonged in the 400s in the desert with these men and women going, I didn't know. And so when we talk about acedia, the reason this is so deadly is because it goes after the very identity of us, who we are as people. Acedia is lazy about love. That's what acedia is. Acedia is lazy about love. And it might help if we uh, people explain it a lot when it comes to long-term relationships that you have with people. Okay, long, think, think about some long-term relationships, uh, your family life, the people who are in your home or the home that you grew up in, long-term friendships, the ones that you've had for, you know, those, those years and years that you're like, that's the friendship. Uh, think about, uh, it's, they use married life very often to describe this vice because in, in married life or in any of these other relationships that we have, we know that they take some work, don't they? Every relationship that we are in, if it's going to be a long-term relationship, takes some work. And there's times that it's really exciting and awesome. And there's times we love it. And then there's times that it just feels mundane and like tedious work, doesn't it? It, it just does. But staying committed to any love relationship is going to take this daily type of nurturing. It's going to take effort. It's going to take these daily practices to build up love. And uh, the poet Kathleen Norris, she says this about married love. She says, married love is eternal, but it's also daily. It's eternal, but it's also daily. That's true, right? Love is forever. Every uh, jewelry commercial is selling you that right now. Love is forever, right? We, we know this, but it's also every day. How, how is it every day? Well, her quote continues. <laughs> Married love is it's, it's eternal, but it's also daily. About as daily and unromantic as housekeeping. Now, does this mean love and married love has no flair? 
Does it have no sparks? It's the, it just gets mundane? No, not at all. Not at all. But what this means is sometimes it takes some work. And I, I've been married for 7,084 days as of today. And when I said I do to Eileen, it was a statement of my forever love for her. It, it was. And her statement of I do was a forever statement of her love for me. And not every day has been like our wedding day. Would you agree? Yeah, I, you can give a big amen there, right? It's, we don't have, you know, uh, every day exchanging vows like that. I mean, we don't have champagne with dinner every night. We don't have a DJ that we're begging to stay so we could party later with all of our friends dancing in each other's arms into the night. This is not someone who lives in our home with us, right? We... we have to work at this. The night was amazing. The night was amazing, but love isn't just forever in one moment. It is every single day. It is daily. So for over 7,000 days, I have been telling the same exact woman as many times as I can in the morning, afternoon, and night how much I love her. I still try to grab her hand when she's next to me so that I can rub my right thumb over her right thumb. We could be watching a play or Jurassic Park. <laughs> I'm daily apologizing, always daily apologizing when I completely forget to do the very thing I agreed to do and she asked me to do and didn't do it. Sometimes love is as unromantic as housekeeping. It's just the steady every day, being present. You see, I, I was a husband on day one when I said I do right? But I could tell you, love has changed me. After 7,084 days, I believe that I've changed a whole lot. If you knew me then and you knew me now, you would say, wow, you're different. I'm not the same man and she's not the same wife. I'll tell you, I think I'm a better husband today than I am on day one. And I can say that because I already asked Eileen that this week to make sure I could say it. She's a better wife today than she was 7,000 days ago. Does that mean she was a bad wife then? No, she was great, but she's even better now, right? 19 years from today because of daily decisions to keep on loving, I pray that I'm an even better husband then than I am now, right? We will be different people then. Why? Because love transforms us. And all this talk about forever love that we have, it has to be anchored in our commitments that, that mark our daily decisions to keep on loving. Even when it's hard, even when it's unexciting, even when it does not yield this big emotional payoff for us, we keep loving every day. And you see the same thing here. The reason that so many desert mothers and fathers would even use this as an example is because it's so true about our relationship with God. When we make a decision to accept his love for us through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, we enter into a forever love relationship with him, right? This is what we do. And acedia when that grips our heart, it is lazy about love. It lures us in when we want the security of having God's love, but there is absolutely no willingness to be changed by that love over time. A, a person 
who has acedia gripping their heart resists the effort it takes of doing day after day after day whatever is needed to keep the bonds of love strong and healthy whether they feel like it or not. Basically, someone who wrestles with a CDR, this has gripped their heart in their relationship with God, is basically saying to God, I want you to love me. I, I, I want God to love me, but being changed by that love is too hard for me, so I would rather the comfort and the security of being loved by God without having to give back without having to sacrifice anything, without having to take any responsibility, invest myself in this relationship over the long haul. I'd rather not. And you know what this is? This is lazy love. This is not what God has called us to. Anne Lamont, she says that the secret is that God loves us exactly the way we are and that he loves us too much to let us stay like this. Isn't that good news? That, that the secret is that God loves us exactly the way that we are and that he loves us too much to let us stay this way. Can I tell you that we are loved by God? Amen? No, no, no. no. Let me tell you it again to you. You are loved by God. Amen? You are. You are. But we have got a long way to go to look like Jesus. Amen? Right? He, we are loved where we are, but we've got a long way to go in this journey of growing every single day and changing our identity. This takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime of cooperation between God, between us, and back and forth. We call this, here's a big theological term for the day, you ready? Sanctification. Okay? How many of you have heard that word before? Okay, uh, how many of you guys still have no idea even when you read it what it means? Perfect. Yeah, right? It's a weird word. And what this word means is it's, it's simply the process of being made holy. It's the process of being made holy, of looking like Jesus. And in one sense, here's the thing. When we say yes to Jesus, I do, we are a Christian. We are a follower of Jesus. And, and in another sense, we're still becoming Christians, becoming followers of Jesus. That is sanctification. And please hear me on this. Sanctification requires effort, not earning. Okay? Sanctification requires effort, not earning. Let's say that together because I think you're going to need that today. All right? Let's say it together. Sanctification requires effort, not earning. You and I cannot earn God's love. We can't. This is a free gift through Jesus Christ. You can't earn any more love than you have already received. You and I are fully and completely loved. Mm. However, God invites us into this relationship to daily participate with him, to put effort into this. This relationship is designed to help us become more Christ-like through the power of the Holy Spirit. This takes effort. It doesn't just like, oh, I accept Jesus. Now I'm like Jesus. Perfect. No, no, we've got a long way to go. We are Christians, and yet we're becoming. But when acedia grips the heart, what happens is, is we begin to resist this identity 
in Jesus. And we say, you know what? I, I, I don't know that I want to put that work in. We feel this battle in our minds and in our souls. And if you've been soaping with us, you know that from Romans chapter 7. I, I, I do what I don't want to do. I can't do what I want to do. And there's all this tension, right? And, and our sinful nature, this person who we were, begins to battle the person we desire to become and who we are and should be before Christ. There's a battle going on inside us. And in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul, the author of that letter, which we have been reading, he says something to the church in Rome that this week it was even said in the context of one of the small groups at, or life groups at Crossbridge that just complete was life transforming. Um, I'd love to read this passage together. Would you stand with me as I read this portion of God's word? In Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 9, it simply says, But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Okay, let me see your eyes really quick. He, he, do you get what he's saying here? He's like, you got this sinful nature. You're not controlled by him because the spirit of God lives in you. You have value from the spirit of God. Make sense? Okay, okay, right? You have life because of him. It continues. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. He's repeating it. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, before we get to what he's about to say, he's saying, you have the spirit in you. You've been empowered differently than this sinful nature that you're battling with. And all because of this, brothers and sisters, therefore, he says, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Let me say it. Thank you. There it is. This is, this is the word of God. You have no obligation to do what the sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God or children of God. You don't have to do what your sinful nature tells you to do. Isn't this good news? Come on, this is so good because you feel the pressure. I feel the pressure. The good news is the Spirit of God says, that doesn't own you anymore. I own you. I own you. And so he continues and he says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You don't have to be scared of this. You don't have to be scared through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. You know what that is? That's forever love. That's forever love. Amen? For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me tell you, the battle that we have is not 
just in our bodies and we're trying to figure out what to do. It's not our body and soul. It's not between the physical and the spiritual. This battle that we experience is our old self, the person we were before we met Jesus. And what they are battling with and resisting is the transformation to be made new and alive by the Spirit of God, letting go of our former identities. And, and it's... it's Man, letting go of who you are, so many of us, our lies of who we are is wrapped up in all of this. And if you let that go, it feels like death. I can't let that go. That's, there's too many things wrapped up in who I am. And what the Spirit of God does is he says, no, in verse 17, it doesn't work that way. If we share in God's glory, can I tell you, we share in his death. We share in his suffering. We want to be fully forever loved by Abba God, but we don't want the suffering. I like to be an heir to glory. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? But if you're an heir to glory, you're an heir to suffering because this is the model of our Savior. You can't have one without the other, but we want a forever love without an effort. If we share in his glory, we share in his suffering. And let me tell you, this is the part of sanctification that's hard. It's part of being made holy. So acedia, what it does is it literally divides us against ourselves. We're made for a loving relationship by God. We're made to love. And when we choose to reject this relationship with God as, as the way that we're going to find fulfillment, and we say, no, no, no. And instead, we try to make something. We, we need to make anything, anything else work. This is when a CD is having its way in our hearts. We attempt to settle for being less than what we truly are. Children of God, heirs with Jesus. Are you, are you starting to see why I'm not using the word sloth? Right? It's very different than being lazy because people with acedia, let me tell you, you could put a tremendous amount of energy and work and effort into the difficult task of distracting yourself from the unhappiness of where you really are. You and I could become so busy to avoid the fact that we don't want to recognize we're not happy with us. And we're scared if we're not happy with us, God won't be happy with us. So we busy ourselves, habitual distraction to keep us from asking the hard questions. And people with acedia, we put all this effort and energy. We say, I'm so busy, I don't have time for that. People with acedia can be tireless, overworked, restless. And the opposite is absolutely true. They could be bored all the time, apathetic towards the life that they live, living in despair, and whether it's laziness or whether it's busyness, when we have acedia, what we do is we avoid changing, stretching. We avoid giving ourselves to the task of love because love takes effort. And it takes effort because it transforms us. So I guess in a sense, I mean, maybe those with acedia are slothful. Maybe they just want an easy spiritual life. The idea of fighting off our old, selfish nature, it's just too difficult. It's too painful. And it feels like a whole lot of work. I don't want to open that. So I'm just not going to choose to put the effort into maintaining and deepening this relationship with love, of love with God. Right? So a person with a CD will harden their heart towards any change or sacrifice or surrender. I don't want to put in any work to this. 
as weird as it sounds, like Assyria is marked by this resistance to the transforming demands of God's love. And it's like, why would someone resist God's love? Why would someone resist God's love? Because a love relationship changes who we are. It marks us, our identity. And if we're going to stay in a relationship for the long haul, it takes daily work, effort. Asidi is resisting all of that. I don't want a disciplined transformation. I know this new identity demands me to give up a part of who I am that's not, I, I just don't want to let that go. And when we ask the Holy Spirit, I'll do these things, I'll change these things, but not those things. We're lessening love. Humans are made. We were created, knit together in the image of our God to love. So when we resist this, we are denying our humanity and who we really are. We shouldn't simply carelessly assume that God's going to be happy to leave us where we are and never make any demands on our time, our effort, our resources, that a relationship with God will cost us nothing. It won't be inconvenient. A relationship with God's not going to upset my priorities. It's, no, he's not going to ask me to give up some of those things that I've built my identity around. Let, let me tell you, love and this love with God is going to require for us to learn how to die to our old selves every single day. And it is hard, and none of us want this. And acedia, when it kind of takes hold, it has a twofold effect. And the first thing it does is it's, this lack of loving God. It's kind of an important thing here at Crossbridge. But acedia stops us from loving God. It makes us actually want to avoid people and activities that bring us face to face with our identity in Christ. You know when you're wrestling with your relationship with Jesus and you don't want to go to that place or be around those people because they know Jesus and you just don't... You say, oh, I don't want to be with them, but the reality is you don't want to be with what they'll reveal in you. You feel less than, and so what Acedia does is it disrupts your ability to love God. I don't want to go to prayer. I don't want to be at worship service, scripture reading. I just don't have the time. I'm so busy. Life groups, that's... The second effect that Acedia could have on us is that it's a lack of loving people. It's a lack of loving people. It builds this wall between us and the demands of love that others have. It's not that God's love relationship just demands from us. It's that look around you. Love with each other demands some things sometimes, doesn't it? It just does. And so what happens is, is acedia begins to stop our ability to love God, to love each other. And, and now a slothful person, what they might do is they're going to cope with this by emotionally just checking out. And we become numb. That's what sloth would do, but the overworker, the workaholic in us, begins to speed up so fast. And it's not that one is right or wrong, but uh, Frederick Buchner, I, in his book, Wishful Thinking, I love how he says, and uh, I just think this guy's awesome. He says this, lazy people, and look at that picture of him. He's just, he looks so chill, doesn't he? Sitting there with his pipe relaxing, that's his Princeton picture. Um, he says, lazy people who sit around and watch the grass grow, Maybe people at peace. 
their sun-drenched bumblebee dreaming may be the prelude to an actioner, or itself an act well worth the acting. Like somebody with a bad head cold, slothful people have mostly lost their sense of taste and smell. They know there's something wrong with them, but not wrong enough to want to do something about it. Other people come and go, but through glazed eyes, they hardly notice them. They're letting things run their course. They're getting through their lives. Slothful people will not be moved, and so they basically stay stuck between a self that they can't bear and a self they can't bear to become. You see, in the church, we spend a whole lot of our time avoiding the demands of God, avoiding the true commitment that, that discipleship takes, love takes. I mean, all of these things. We resist all of this, and we use religious activities to do it. We use God to run from God. That's what Pete Scazzaro says in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We use God to run from God. We busy ourselves with so many activities, and if it's like, oh, well, that's for them out there. No, how many things do we do to avoid being in the presence of God. And it's like, I'm just too busy. No, we're scared of it sometimes. We use God to run from God. We find any excuse not to pay attention to God and remain in his presence. And so acedia simply is the choice not to commit. That's what this is. It's a choice to give ourselves wholly to God, except not really. And what God calls us to is to give ourselves completely to him and stay the course. You see, Mary, when she was visited by angels, she was terrified. And in the passage Jeff read for us, she's given the most unimaginable news, and Acedia would have said, no thanks, that's too much. It will cost me everything. But Mary said yes to a love that was so much deeper than she could understand. And her faithfulness and her effort extended from the manger all the way to the foot of the cross with her, where her son died. How many ordinary, mundane, and routine choices of love do you think she had to make over those 30 plus years? You know what Mary did? She dedicated herself to love and love is not an easy thing. And the problem with the CD is, uh, I, I can't give you a clear way to solve this problem. <laughs> That's the hard part. Because <laughs> for us workaholics, we're like, give me the task, give me the tools to say I could do something. And then you're going to keep doing it and miss the reason. And, and for those of you who are so like, ah, uh, I, I don't want to put something on you, and you're like, that's it, I knew I couldn't do this, and the enemy takes us. So it's so hard to give you a solution to this. That's what's frustrating. It's not about working harder, please. Many of you do that too much already. It's not about slowing down, because some of you are bored out of your minds. It's about putting effort into what matters most. That's what this is about. Putting effort into our forever love relationship with Jesus. Two directives that the Desert Father gave, the fathers gave that I would um, suggest for you is a, maybe a di direction for help. Uh, uh, they call it stabilitas loci, and it's not like the Marvel. It simply means stability of place. Stability of place. Um, Saint Benedict, in his rule, he he really raises this up, this stability of place. And he encourages people to have fierce loyalty 
towards their religious community. That was his phrasing. Um, and he says, this is what's going to help you learn love. And I think he knows maybe the church is full of pretty messed up people, right? You can give me an amen if you're looking at each other. We know this, especially Crossbridge, you know this. St. Benedict says, the stability of places, when you can continue to be there, you will learn to love others when they're difficult, but they'll learn to love you when you are. You'll learn to receive love when you're difficult. And sometimes I think when we don't get along, it's easy to jump ship and go somewhere else. And if we have not tried to work out those love pieces in our context with each other, we're in deep, deep trouble. Like we're running from love because it transforms us. It's a little hard. And so being stable in one place, finding the ability to say, I don't have to keep moving. This is my community. If you have a separate community that you call home, ground there, it's good. If Crossbridge is your home, get here, stay here, plant here. The second, oh, oh, actually, King David says it in Psalm 27, 14. He says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. We need to sometimes just stay present. Not every day with Jesus and our love relationship with him is going to be fireworks. When we come together for worship night, my heart feels so full and I'm ready to explode. I don't feel that on Tuesday. I'm in my Jesus chair. We're hanging out. I'm reading Romans. Is it the same? No, it's different. Is it any less important? No. That's what steady love looks like. We can't run. We can't run. The second thing practice that they give is to have courageous endurance. <laughs> Enthusiasm, stuff that we've got, like we can get pumped up real quick. That's going to come, it's going to go, isn't it? This happens all the time. And that's why I try not to pump us up with sermons to say, let's go get everything and then feel like failures after we can't do it. It's setting up, you get to make these decisions. You need to take these steps, right? There are times that I feel very far from God. I just do. I don't feel like reading. I don't feel like praying. He has been absent. But what courageous endurance does is says, even though I don't feel it, I will keep going because my Savior was courageously enduring step after step to the cross for me. I can go day after day with my love for him. I need to commit to daily practices with Jesus, my time of reading, my time of prayer. When it's off, I'm off. I know that. This is why, I, I kid you not, we, we create these guides not because we have nothing better to do. We do this because this is what courageous endurance looks like. Showing up to your life group with stuff and engaging, this is what courageous endurance looks like. Even if you don't like them all the time, they need you, you need them. Courageous endurance is being here. And if you're saying, but sometimes, you know, Jimmy, I, oh my gosh, you, you go on forever. Will you stop like this? I don't get anything out of that message. Listen, I'm not obtuse. I know that not every message I give is a home run. Okay, I go back and listen, believe me. And sometimes I go, oh, by the grace of God, thank you, Jesus, that that, that one's over. I hope they let me come back. I, I get that. And if it's, you're, you might even be sitting here now going, just shut up. I hear that, but I also don't care because I know that the Holy Spirit is speaking to someone else right now that needs this. And so church isn't about you. But it's courageously enduring week after week so that when we are in a place where we are desperately in need of God, we know where to go to be with him and others who can point us to him. This isn't about you. I know that sounds crazy. 
but it's courageously enduring step after step like Jesus to be present with each other. We have to keep going and it's so hard and we need each other to push each other to keep going. And I just wonder as a culture, as we prepare to take communion together, I wonder that if we, ah, this sounds bad, but I'm saying, I wonder if we make too much and expect too much from love as this feeling, right? We set love up as the ooey gooey when reality it's, it's not that, it's courageous endurance, it's steady of place. I think we make too little of love as this ongoing choice and commitment. I try to regularly tell Eileen, I would choose you today. If we could, if we could do this again, I would choose you today. And I would say the same about Jesus because he says the same about me every single day. This is what he says of you. Love is taking one step forward at a time with Jesus. If you are tired, can I encourage you to keep going? Keep going. These daily practices that we have, this is why we do communion every single week together. You know why? Because sometimes the week is just crappy. And things feel so out of uh, a sync and frustrations and the fights that we have with each other and, and our anger with God. And there's one moment every single Sunday that we come together that I know what matters most is elevating, celebrating, remembering together that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth as a child, as a baby. Lived a perfect life and was brutally murdered to cover the penalty of my sin when I choose not to endure and submit. And he sits with his disciples, this hodgepodge group of guys that I think would have done well at Crossbridge. And he holds up the bread and he says, this is my body. It's a symbol of my body that's been broken for you. And he holds up the cup and he says, this is my blood that's been poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I need to remember that and take my time of confession to God. I need this for me today. And I courageously endure. I show up for stability because this grounds me and communion has never been more important to me than it is in this season. We do this together because this is what stability looks like. And when we keep showing up, you keep spending that time with God. You keep having the people around you. Eventually, you're not gripped and you're just ready to be loved. Some of you are tired of running. It's time to submit to the love of Jesus. As you come and celebrate communion, would you do so not out of just a routine, but out of a desperate plea that Christ would be formed in you and give you the courageous endurance and strength you need for the daily drudgery that love is sometimes. And that when you experience the true love of Jesus, your identity is changed. Would you stand with me? Jesus, we approach this table with reverence and dignity understanding that you've given all for us and so we simply submit to you. Ask that our hearts would be right and you would hear the desperate cries of our heart to simply say, can I just have a little more strength not to earn your love, but I need help to put in that effort. I cannot do this alone and because the spirit of God who lives in us who has made us alive, we can do this. 
we elevate you, Jesus Christ, our Savior, as we celebrate communion. In Jesus' name, you may come.